Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. I want us to, I want us to just have a little bit uh, of a time of prayer. Last week, we were talking about John 14 and Judas asking Jesus, why are you only revealing yourself to us and not to everybody? And Jesus, in only the way that he can, expounds to Judas that you're the answer to the question that you're asking. It's it's you. It's you who will be a carrier of my presence. And um, so I, I, I want us... I want us to make some legislation today in the kingdom. Uh, election day is, is Tuesday, and so we're asking for the Holy Spirit to have his way in the elections. We're asking that the power of the Holy Spirit would reign in our nation and uh, that people would, would vote according to uh, their biblical values and um so, so let's just do that. Let's just take some time right now and, and step into our role as kingdom expanders and uh, j- just pray. Father, we just thank you for an opportunity to come to you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you know the end from the beginning. We're asking God that you would come and reign in righteousness in the elections that are going on on Tuesday. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to reign. God, I'm asking that you would raise up righteous leaders who would follow your will and follow your way. I'm asking that you would raise up righteous leaders that would be arrows in your hand in tearing down, God, the, the, the evil that is abortion in our nation. God, we, we ask for the some 60 million voices that have been silenced. We ask for justice. We ask that this Tuesday, God, that you would raise up righteous leaders who would help us reverse this curse on our land. God, we're asking that you would give us righteous leaders that would have direction from Holy Spirit on what our school system should look like. We're asking, God, that you would raise up righteous leaders that would acknowledge your presence, that would acknowledge you, God, as the author and finisher of our faith. So today we pray, God, for our elections. We ask that you would raise up righteous leaders, that you would give them dreams and visions, that your Holy Spirit would be the dominant voice. We bless you today, and we thank you for an opportunity to make these declarations. We thank you for the opportunity to make this legislation in the kingdom. We declare it to be so in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So glad that you're here today. So excited about Jesus. Are you excited about Jesus? Yeah. I uh, <clears throat> pray for me. I'm having some having some issues with my voice, and uh, so pray for me. I'm gonna try to not wear it out today as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
I want to I want to ask for some for some grace from you. Um, obviously, in this transition, there are things that uh, we we took for granted in our permanent location that we had, and now we're temporary, and we've got to adjust some things. And one of those things is we have not uh, been able to get the podcast updated as of yet, and so we, we just have to uh, we have to navigate that and, and work through that. So we just ask for your grace, because if we did, I would totally tell you, hey, go check out the podcast from last week so I don't have to do so much review today. Uh, but um, I, I do just want to share some stuff from last week, and then I just want to... Um, just share some things that that Holy Spirit is is teaching me, and I, I I want to readily admit to you that for the next few weeks we're going to go on a journey, and and I'm not going to stand here in any, and I don't do this any week, but I want you to hear this for sure. I'm not going to stand here as an authority on what I'm telling you. We're going to learn some stuff together. Is that okay? Is that all right, family? We can do that. Um, there are some things and some challenges and some adjustments that must be made in order for us to become the fullest expression of what Jesus intends in our city and in our family. And, and so there are some things that, that he's teaching us, and um, I think it's going to be a really, really fun journey. You can go with me to John chapter 14 again. I'm going to read some scripture that we read last week, and I'm, I'm not really going to belabor that because I really want to get into some other stuff, um, but we're just going to kind of set that as a backdrop. And l- let me just say this. This was my opening statement last week, and I want you to hear this. Radical obedience to the voice of the Lord will always precede a release of the Holy Spirit. Radical obedience to the voice of the Lord will always precede a release of the Holy Spirit. What are you saying? I'm saying if you're asking for a release of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, rest assured He's asking for radical obedience to his voice. Okay? And um, so that really is is what what he is speaking to us and through us. Let's let's start at verse 15. Um, I I love this. Uh, you, You probably grew up hearing it this way. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I love the way the Passion Translation says it. Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. How many of you think that's a lot better option than if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? You understand what Jesus is is introducing to the disciples. I'm leaving you. This is the last time we'll talk. This is the last time that I'll get to pour into you before I go to the cross. And I want to talk to you about radical love devotion that empowers you to obey my commandments. How many of you have tried to obey commandments outside of radical devotion and found out that, man, it's really, really tough? Just be honest, right? And so what Jesus is saying to the disciples here is that loving me will give you the power to obey what it is that I'm saying. Now, Jesus, just like he does in my life, is not releasing everything to them. And as a matter of fact, he says, there's even more that I'd like to tell you, but you can't grasp it right now. How many of you have learned to become thankful that he doesn't lay out all the steps at once? I'm very thankful because I would have said no. 
I would have said no. Had he said, hey, this is going to happen and that's going to happen, oh, yeah, and it'll be fun and we'll do this and that'll happen, I would have said, no, it's not fun, I don't like it, and the answer is no. Right? And, and, and so what, what he tells us is that if you love me, if you'll stay in this, in this radical place of devotion where you love me, it will empower you to do what I say. That is revolutionary. Guys, it's revolutionary. And, and it's the answer to every question that you have. It is the answer to every question that you have. That if you love him in a radical place of devotion, it empowers you to do what he says. It empowers you to do what he says. So he opens up this narrative and, and he begins to talk about the coming Holy Spirit and he talks about inheritance and he talks about all of what's available. Let me, let me just read some of this. Loving me empowers you to obey my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him, but you know him intimately because he remains with you and will live inside you. I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. We talked about last week that one of the plagues that I see in the body of Christ specifically is an orphan spirit. And yet we have Bible that says he would never leave us as orphans. So what has become the dominant spirit in our lives? Remember we talked about that, that the, the, the indicator of the orphan spirit is, is the way that you value connection and the way that you take correction. I didn't think, y'all didn't shout last week, you ain't gonna shout today about that. I didn't think so. But it's the truth nonetheless. That I, I, I show my connection to real authority or a father based on the way that I take correction. Can I tell you that over my life, I have valued correction so much more than I have valued coddling. And I'm talking about, I sat down in front of some men that y'all don't even want to talk to and said, hey, please cut on me. Please bring some correction. Why? Because I understand that my connection to a father, my connection to the kingdom way alleviates the opportunity for me to function in this orphan spirit that Jesus said he would never leave for us. So if we're struggling that, I want us to begin to ask ourselves, why are we allowing that spirit to be the dominant spirit in our lives and not what the Bible tells us? Remember, the, the, the litmus test for everything is if we have Bible on it. It'd be one thing if I got up here and said, there's an orphan spirit running rampant. We can't find it in the Bible, and we don't know if you're going to be taken care of. That'd be different. But to say there's an orphan spirit that is running rampant in the church, and Jesus said, I would never leave you that way, indicates that there's something that needs to be adjusted. Would you agree with that today? The other thing that happens with an orphan spirit is you have no idea how to receive inheritance if you're an orphan. And he wants to release inheritance to you. The indicator of that is you still think you can work for what he wants to give you. You still think that you can do enough to gain it. Yeah, see? Heaven is agreeing with me right there. I'm joking. He's probably telling me to shut up. <laughs> The way that you can receive inheritance 
is an indicator of the way that you really understand the identity of who you are from the father that's speaking over you. And ultimately today, what I'm going to talk to you is, is about identity again. Um, but I really just want us to understand that, that if we are, if we're engaging in this idea of an orphan spirit or dealing with rejection or insulating ourselves, um, from, from relationships that, that, that could be helpful in our lives, but, but we don't want to step into that because we don't want to become vulnerable again. If that's the indicator, you'll never understand what we talk about when we say kingdom family. And we'll never move into the fullest expression of that. And Jesus said that I will not leave you as orphans. And so it's, it's, it's really important that we catch that. Soon I will leave this world and they will see me no longer, but you will see me because I will live again and you will come alive too. So when that day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father and that you are one with me, for I will be living in you. Those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father, and I will passionately love you in return and will manifest my life within you. Then one of the disciples named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Lord, why is it that you will only reveal your identity to us and not to everyone? And here's what Jesus says. Loving me empowers you to obey my word. <clears throat> and my father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. But those who, do not, who don't love me will not obey my words. The father did not send me to speak my own revelation, but the words of my father. I'm telling you this while I'm still with you. But when the father sends the spirit of holiness, the one like me who sets you free, come on, man, that's good. He will teach you all things in my name and will inspire you to remember every word that I have told you. Every word that I have told you. Look at look at uh, look at verse twenty one again. Are we do we have those up and running? John fourteen twenty one. Those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father, and I will passionately love you in return. Look at that next line, and will manifest my life within you. I want to challenge us today. I am being challenged with this question. Do I understand what it is for Jesus to live his life through me? Do I understand what it really is for Jesus to live his life through me? I, I'm, I'm going to jump in. I, I, I wanted to do some more review, but I, I really feel like I need to um, just kind of get in to uh, what I believe the Lord is saying right now. Yesterday, I, I sat down and was able to just do a little bit of writing, and so that's kind of how I'm going to give it to you today, and, and we'll pause and, and just talk about some of the things that, that he said. Is that all right? You okay if we don't have a, a bull sermon? You know what that is? You know what a bull sermon is? Two points and a lot of bull in between. Yeah, bull. Um, so, Yeah. So in John 14, Jesus is prophetically releasing the strategy for living the resurrected lifestyle. You know, I think sometimes that, that, that we, 
we, we capture the essence of what Jesus is wanting to say and what he's wanting to do, but we don't really understand the power behind it. Do you understand that Jesus is telling the disciples, he's telling you and I, this is how you live after I, after I conquer death. This is how you live after I am resurrected. This is what's available to you after I get up out of the grave like I told you that I'm going to. And, and, and so he's really uh, giving strategy for the resurrected lifestyle. <coughs> Jesus explains that while he is about to leave the earth, he is sending the Holy Spirit that would testify of Jesus in a way that would actually make Jesus closer to the disciples than he had ever been while physically present. Does that mess with you a little bit like it does me? I can't imagine having Rebecca present with me and her saying, listen, I'm going to leave. It's going to be a good thing. I've walked with you for three and a half years, but I'm going to leave and I'm going to send you something that will give a greater testimony of who I am and a greater reality that will make me more real to you than if I were sitting here right in front of you. Can you wrap your mind around that? Me neither. You know, we, we've given the disciples a lot of flack about asking questions and, and you're doing this and I can't believe you would say this because Jesus is right in front of you. And then he says some stuff like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? Or I'm going to leave you, but I, when I leave, I'm sending Holy Spirit and he's going to be closer to you. I'm going to be closer to you with Holy Spirit than I am physically here. Crazy, isn't it? But this is what Jesus is explaining to them. He's saying, listen, I am going to send the third person of the Trinity. This is why it never works out, because calling him an it. Because as long as he's an it, we have no ability to grasp the fact that he could live on the inside of us and really testify of Jesus. Do you know the Holy Spirit is the best preacher on the, on the, on the earth, period? And do you know what his favorite sermon is? Jesus. It's his favorite sermon. It's what he wants to testify. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on in, in the 14, 15, 16 discourse. He goes on to tell them, he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will declare to you only what he hears the Father and I talking about. Come on, I, I want to provoke you to a deeper relationship with this Holy Spirit that I'm talking about. So in other words, there are things that are happening in heaven. They're discussing Chad Door in heaven. And Holy Spirit is coming and saying, this is what I heard. This is not a guess. This is not something that I hope could happen. But Jesus and the Father were having a discussion about Chad Door, And this is what they said. That is the witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is not just so you can shatadabaka. And you know me, I love that. They make jokes all the time. What are we going to do? We're going to pray in the Holy Ghost and get strategy because that's my answer for everything. We're going to do that. But if I get a tongue and I don't get real relationship, then I have missed the meaning of this wonderful Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, I'm sending Holy Spirit, and he is going to come and live in you, and it's going to be as if I'm closer to you than sitting right here in front of me. He says this, he would actually be the presence of Jesus on the inside of us. Do you live your life 
in connection with Holy Spirit where you believe that he is the presence of Jesus the Christ on the inside of you? Do you do that? Do I do that? I'm working on it. The Bible says he would so passionately love us that he would manifest his life, Jesus' life, through us. Let me be clear. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the conduit through which Jesus lives his life through you and I. Come on. If I didn't say another word for the whole month, if you could learn that the Holy Spirit is the conduit through which Jesus the Christ, Yeshua, the one who walked this earth, who was hung out on a cross, put in a garden tomb, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit to new life. If you could understand that the Holy Spirit is the conduit through which he lives his life through you, it would change the way that you did life right now. Not sometime when I get to go on another fast and I get to do everything that I'm supposed to do because it looks like I've checked off my religious box. It would change the way that you live your life right now. And you know I'm for all of that stuff, but what I'm learning is none of that stuff that I have done in my past has gotten me any closer to knowing this man Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit than when I sit and I just gaze in his eyes and I look at his beauty and I say, you are the one thing that I want. And I want us to understand that that is the reason we are here. We are not here to be striving. We're not here to be trying to build our ministry and to build some mega thing that's happening. We are here to be conduit so that Jesus could manifest his life through us. What does that mean? That means if I really get to the point that I believe he is living his life through me, when I speak to cancer, I expect it to move. You remember the seven sons of Sceva? They went out and they said, I come to you in the name of Paul and the name of Jesus. And the demons smacked them upside the head and said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? We have tried to manufacture so many things based on religious rigor and religious routine that we have failed to understand our only job is to be conduit for Jesus to live his life through us and it's manifest by the Holy Spirit. My goodness. I feel like I got to walk a mile to get back to my nose. I just, let me come out here. I told you wrong, Kurt. I told Kurt where to put it, and I told him wrong. <laughs> Guys, this, this revelation, this revelation is paramount to you and I realizing that the cross was not an ending, but rather an initiation point to begin the dominion of the king through sons and daughters. Listen, I'm... I'm I, I, I am readily admitting I, I, I'm going to mess with y'all today because he's messing with me. And uh, so it's the only way I know how to do it. Um, you know, Judas says, why is it that you're only going to show us, you know, show our, yourself to us? And Jesus begins to explain to him that when you, when you love me, you obey my commandments. And when that happens, it creates this, this, um, 
realm where the Father and I love you so much that we come and live on the inside of you. Remember what we started the year out with, being rooted in home? Some translations say we come and make our home in you. This one, the Passion Translation said, we'll make you our dwelling place. Do, do you understand that none of that has to do with heaven? None of that has to do with heaven. So this revelation is paramount to you and I realizing that the cross was not an ending, but rather an initiation point to begin the dominion of the king through sons and daughters. Jesus releases the revelation to Judas that I am going to reveal myself to the world through you. But only the ones who love me will be able to see me. This is why, and I know I hit it last week, but I'm going to continue to do it. And, and, and it's, it's one of the reasons that I never could get on board with I'm going to go out in street evangelism so I can get somebody to repeat a prayer. Because we've had so many people repeat, repeat a prayer, and as soon as we leave, they go right back to doing what they were doing because we didn't teach them how to allow Holy Spirit to come in and be conduit so that Jesus could really live his life through them and change them radically. I love evangelism. I love evangelism, but I don't love that we go out and try to get somebody to repeat a prayer and we don't really make disciples of nations like Jesus said we could. One of the things that I believe the church has taught incorrectly is the idea that I will call today false finish lines. Places of radical encounter that should have released us into even greater encounters and dare I say continual encounters became a false finish line that we attempted to cross over and over and over again. So much so that we measured everything we experienced against the one-time experience that was never meant to be a stopping point, but rather a door of initiation that would move us forward into the kingdom lifestyle, not normal American Christianity. Now, it's no secret are we, I don't, are we recording, really? Oh, man, I'm about to say, I can say whatever I want to right now. <laughs> You've heard me say over and over again, normal sucks. But we've, we've spent much of our religious life trying to fit into a box called normal Christianity. Watch this. And what we've done is we've created these false finish lines that we measured everything else by. For example, if you repeat the prayer, then that's all that you need. Repeating the prayer was never supposed to be the ending of the thing. It was supposed to be the beginning of a new lifestyle. What we should have said is that he that be in Christ has become a new creature and all things, the old things have passed away and everything has become new. Because if I get you to repeat a prayer, but I don't show you how to get out of the junk that you're living in, you're a bad day from turning right back around and getting into the junk that you're living in. When I possess the power on the inside of me through the indwelling Holy Spirit to walk you through deliverance and let you experience Jesus living this life through you. But we said it was a false finish line. Why? Because we were concerned with numbers, one thing. I never understand how people get up and brag and say, we had 343 salvations this weekend in our outreach and we still got 50 people in our church. 
Better yet, I led 14 people to the Lord this week, but I haven't talked to them in three months, so I don't know how they're doing. False finish lines, guys. It's false finish lines. We get people to repeat a prayer, and we think that that is the pinnacle, and we, we keep going. Let, let, let me keep going. What about this one? You ever heard this one? If Jesus came back tomorrow, do you know where you would go? Any of you been manipulated by that statement? Or better yet, if you were to die in a car wreck on the way home. Seriously, that worked maybe two times, and then I realized I'm still here, Jack, and that ain't, that ain't the deal. You know what else doesn't work any, anymore? This could be the very day that he's coming back. My grandfather said it, my great-grandfather said it, and he's not here yet. I love what Damon says. I love what Damon Thompson says. He says, we have spent our life in the church trying to judge whether or not Jesus is coming back by the condition of the great whore in Revelation and not the bride. The worse it gets, and we, we, we don't even look at the world for real. We talk about America. The worse it gets in America as if we're Israel. There is no promise in the Bible to Israel that is for America. Every promise in the Bible to Israel is for those who are in the new covenant and who are sons and daughters of Abraham. That's you and I if we've come into the revelation of relationship with Jesus. But it's not America. And every one of those ancestors have been saying he's coming today, he's coming tomorrow. Why? Because they were looking at the condition of the world instead of looking at the condition of the bride. And Jesus said, I'm coming back for a bride that is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So if I'm coming back after a bride that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, why am I trying to measure you coming back based on what the horrible world that's corrupting and changing all the time looks like? It's a false finish line. Because if I can get more people to say yes to this, then I'll get them in here to my company and, and we'll realize that, that we've got all this good stuff going on and we'll set up this, this great little doctrine that we're all going to get out of here one day and so we don't have to do anything right now. Y'all ever been a part of a church like that? I led some churches like that. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. Hallelujah. Here's, an, here, here's another one. Another false finish line the church has fed. The pinnacle is you getting saved in church attendance. Have you ever felt the pressure of that? Right? Why? Because somebody told you that that's what you have to do to look like you have real relationship with Jesus. The problem with the world, if you want to really talk about the great whore, the problem with the world is that the church tried to look the part but didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through them so they could actually be the part. False finish lines. And here, here's one that drives me nuts. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not about to go into to eschatology and all that stuff. There are people who are way smarter than me that, that can do that, and they can figure all that stuff out. But this is one that drove me nuts as a young man, that everything is going to be okay, and we're all going to be happy when we get to heaven. Life's going to suck down here, and you're going to suffer, and it's going to be terrible, and, and, and I don't even know why we're going through this life. And, and you know, the joy of salvation, well, that was, that was for them, and that's not for us. But when we all get to heaven, everything is going to work. 
Do you understand there's no mantles, there's no ministry that's happening in heaven. And there's no need for us to be Christ-like once we get to heaven because he's already there. And he's the lamb and he's the focal point of heaven. He's the focal point of worship. But what would happen if we had a revelation that said while we're here, what if we could let him live his life through us and we could walk by people and tell them to stretch out their hand and it was healed. We could walk through funerals and stop the whole processional and tell them to get up because we're living the life of Jesus through us, through the indwelling Holy Spirit that pushes us into doing what he really called us to do. Do you think the pinnacle of Christianity is us coming together on Sunday and sitting here and enjoying a few songs, listening to some guy get up here and sweat and yell and, and talk and say crap and sucks in the pulpit and I'm never allowed to say, you know, I wasn't allowed to hear that. Do you think that's the pinnacle of what we're supposed to do? Seriously. Guys, this is stuff that I have, I've, I've thought my whole life. I, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know how to, to measure some of this stuff. I just knew that there were things that graded on me and I didn't want to wait and live my life in hell so that one day I could get to heaven. Because if that were the case, the greatest thing I could have done was die so that I would get there. Is that, y'all ever think about that? I promise I'm going somewhere. I'm not just venting today. <laughs> Are y'all okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm walking through some stuff that he's messing with me about. Most of the false finish lines are there because we needed to find a way to ease our conscience about having more faith in our failure than we did in Christ's triumph. Most of the false finish lines are there because we had to find a way to ease our conscience about having more faith in our failure than we did in Christ's triumph. I have spent so much of my life expecting that I was going to mess up and expecting that I was going to fail that I did not allow the power of the Holy Spirit to live through me in fullness because I was always walking the edge that religion said that I had to walk. And your response tells me that you have dealt with the same thing. Remember what we said last week? That Jesus is the Savior from the guilt of sin, but Holy Spirit is the redeemer from the power of sin or the redeemer who ends the curse. So what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus' blood, the cross, was an initiation point to remove us from the guilt of sin, but to get us in position to be in relationship with Holy Spirit who would completely end the curse, that we would no longer be bound by the curse. And it's him living on the inside of us. It's that indwelling Holy Spirit that I've been talking about that gives us permission to do that. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. You're not going to have this in the Amplified. I want to read it in the Amplified, but you can put 13 and 14 up in the Passion Translation in just a moment. I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. Are you all okay today? You good? In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, 
the good news of your salvation. I want to stop right there. What were you taught that the good news of your salvation was? You're saved and you're no longer going to hell, right? That's pretty good news, right? But how does that help me live my life every day in the joy of the Holy Spirit if that's the only good news of my salvation that now I'm not on my way to hell? Like I said, if that were the case, the best thing to do would be to go ahead and die so that I wouldn't have to worry about going to hell, right? Listen to what Paul says. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ, as owned and protected by God. There is deeper meaning to the good news of my salvation and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The good news of your salvation is that the Redeemer from the power of sin, the Redeemer who ends the curse, is the stamp of promise which seals us, watch this, until all of redemption's promises have come and we experience complete freedom. Once again, that is not solely talking about heaven. Look at the Passion Translation. And be, now go back to uh, 13. We'll just read it all. And because of him, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Go to the next one. He is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. He is our hope promise of future inheritance which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom all for the supreme glory and honor of God. Now hold up. If I give Rebecca an engagement ring, there is something that she gets with that ring, right? But it is a future promise that is to come. But until that promise comes, that seal, that engagement ring is the indicator that there is something that I am to live for. There is something that I am to do until everything comes to completion. And so the seal of the Holy Spirit, him living on the inside of you, is to be permanent conduit. If you study the word seal in verse 13, you're going to find that there is no definition that denotes temporary existence in any way. It is a permanent seal. It is something that is permanent that is the first installment of what's coming. I love that he says to a bride, an engagement ring to a bride. Why? Because that's who we are. We're the bride. Man, that's good. That's good. So, so, so the word seal does not denote anything temporary. Quite the opposite. It denotes permanent residency. Okay, here we go. That was a really long introduction. Really long. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. Y'all don't even understand how glorious yesterday was. 
Even though my cat's lost, I'm, I still, I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. My wife, she, she got up and she, she made, she made uh, uh, a pour over, which those of you who, who don't know what a pour over is, it, is, um, it takes co- coffee to a whole other level. I mean, she literally manually poured the hot water over the grounds and waited, and, and it was so good. And I, I had my headphones on, and so I'm drinking this coffee, and I'm, I'm sitting here reading and just writing, and, and literally for like several hours in the morning, that, that's what it was. And so that's, I'm, I'm just geeked today. Y'all know what that means? Y'all speak geeked? I know some of y'all speak geeked. Look at this. Okay, here's, here's where I really wanted to get. And I'm not going to stay here long because I, I, I understand. I, 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 did any of what I just said make sense to you guys? Okay. All right. Good. Good. I have to ask that sometimes because sometimes I get to rambling and who knows what happens. Okay. So, so, so here, here's where we start another leg of the journey, understanding who we really are in Christ. Okay. Now, remember what I said that we have spent a lot of time having faith in our failure more so than we did in the triumph of Christ, okay? So I really want you to catch this. And this is messing with me. This, this is, this is uh, if I can be quite honest, this is me following a father who is on an ark, and he's, he's messing with me daily. Seriously. Like sometimes I have to turn it off, and I'm like, I, d- I don't know that I agree with that. And I turn it back on, and I'm like, okay, maybe Holy Spirit is dealing with me. Because the reason I don't agree with it sometimes is because of what, what has been ingrained in me, right? And sometimes there has to be some stuff that's rooted out of us. Okay, so I want to talk to you. L- let, me, let me give you, I'm going to give you the end, and then we're going to go back and build up to it, right? Because I just have a glimpse of the end. I don't really know how it works. But I'm going sh- I'm, I'm to explain to you what I do know. Does that... Does that make sense? Some, some of you folks who work with your hands, have you ever encountered something where somebody will say, hey, can you teach me how to do that? And you'll be like, no, I can do it, and I can show you how to do it, but I can't teach you how to do it, right? That's kind of where I'm at. So he's teaching us, okay? So, so, so what I want you to understand is, is, is way over here on this journey. Look, I thought it was going to ring on me. I got out of it too quick. Way over here on this journey we're going to learn what it really means to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We do not live our lives like we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We live our lives like we are still slaves to Adam's nature. But over here, once we get here, we're going to find out what it means to really be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, okay? But before I can get here, I've got to talk to you about how it happens. And it's this forensic term called justification. It's, it, it, it's, it's a term that, that was used many times in the Bible, and it's literally a forensic term that would indicate an evidence or an argument in favor of something, okay? Here we go. Today will just be the introduction to that, I promise. We're not going to be here for three hours. 
the path to understanding that I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus is only accessed through a right understanding of justification. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. If you don't have a Passion Translation, you need to get it or go to uh, BibleGateway.com and you need to read Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to take time to read all of that today, but it will blow your mind. Romans chapter 5 in the Passion Translation. New King James Version. Okay, you ready? The reason I don't want to, well, I'll tell you in a minute. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. What? Paul, you had me right up until that point. We glory in tribulations. You do if you know Adam's nature is dead. You don't know how to glory in tribulations if you don't know that Adam's nature is dead because you're afraid that that tribulation is going to throw you off course. But if you know that Adam's nature is dead in you, you can glory in tribulations. As a matter of fact, he says in another place that they're actually working for you. These present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in you, but are working for you a far greater weight of glory so that when Adam's nature is dead, you know you can fire those sufferings and those tribulations because they're working for you. Instead of getting your brains beat in every day, worried about whether or not you're going to fall and mess up because Adam's nature is still alive in you. You know what I found out? It doesn't matter how many filters, men, you put on your computer. If Adam's nature is still alive in you, you're going to find a way to access that junk. Women, it doesn't matter how many filters you put on. You pick up books and, and, and read things that, that you ought not be reading and look at things that you not, ought not be looking to. It doesn't matter how many filters and things you put in place. If Adam's nature is still alive in you, you're going to end up in that spot at some time or another. And you're not going to be able to look at this and say, I can glory in tribulations. No, because Adam's nature is still alive in us because we have faith in that more than we have faith in the triumph of Christ. Hallelujah. Glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance. You've heard, you've heard that, right? Some translations say patience. That's, we've always said don't pray for patience, right? Because if you do, tribulation works patience. Yeah. Sometimes my patience just get worked, and it ain't tribulation. <laughs> Sometimes it has a name on it. <laughs> uh. Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen, let me be vulnerable. Let me be transparent. Are you ready? Can you handle this today? I have spent so much of my life looking at past disappointments to be the course for my future life that I forgot how it was to really have hope in the word of the Lord. Over the last few weeks, I've sat with this lady right here, and we have wept together talking about disappointments that have come our way. 
Disappointments. I could go back to my childhood and I could talk to you about disappointments and I could talk to you about all of these different things. I've even had people come to me and I'll tell them, man, I, I understand what you're going through. I've been doing this and they're like, you've been going through that? There's no way. Yeah, I've had disappointments and I've had those things, but I learned that there's a better way and there's a different perspective. But I didn't always learn that that could be the final word. Hope, a positive expectation of good, does not disappoint. That's what hope is. How does it not disappoint? When you know that Adam's nature is dead in you. Jesus. Skip down to verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been, here's that word again, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Here, understand this about justification. Justification is the evidence or argument that leads to an acquittal. What is an acquittal? It's that there has been a charge brought against someone, but those charges have now been removed, and they're no longer living under the bondage of the charge that was brought against them. All of this is courtroom terminology, because heaven is a courtroom. You can go and find in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 12, that the accuser of the brethren accuses before the throne day and night. That word accuser, it is a prosecuting attorney. That's what the word means. It, it, it's, a, again, a law term. But we have an advocate with the Father, which is a law term. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, mediator, another law term, presenting evidence that would cause us to be acquitted or an argument against our freedom. Watch this. So that we would be reconciled. Here's the great thing about justification. It doesn't mean that I didn't do the sin. I did. I did. You could go back to the crime scene of my life and you could search for prints and you'd found, you, you would find them. You'd find a motive. You'd find some stuff was premeditated. Yeah, I know this is wrong and I'm doing it anyway. Right? But justification says, I'm going to look at you through a different lens so that when I see you, I don't see that you did it. I see it through the acquittal that came as a result of what did he say? The blood of Jesus. You have been justified by the blood of Jesus. So it's not that I didn't do it. It's just that when he looks at me, he no longer sees it. So if he looks at me and no longer sees it, why do I spend so much time resurrecting that dead man that he can't even see? We've been justified. It's what justification is. Here's what justification is not. It's not a license to keep doing the same junk that you continue to do. 
Because once I know that that Adam nature is dead in me, then there's no chance that I'm going back to the same junk any longer because I found a more excellent way. Let's just read some more. Is that okay? Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. He's talking about Adam. Sin came into the world because of Adam. We spend our lives glorifying the fact that sin came into the world and we were born into depravity and we were born into sin all because it happened to Adam. Watch this. This will really mess with you all. Seriously. Seriously. Put for real. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Let let, let me mess with your theology a little bit. Do you know what Paul is actually saying there? He's saying Adam sinned, but those from Adam to Moses, they had no law, so how could it really be a transgression against them? That's just how my mind thinks. Guys walking around who want to kick Adam's tail because he sinned, and it's not even been imputed to them. They just were born into a world that now has sin. You know what happened, though? Death happened. Death happened. That's, that's, that's what it was. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him. Capital H. Who's it talking about? Jesus. Who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. It resulted in the acquittal. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Christ Jesus. There's so much more I want to read, but let me, just, let me do this. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that I through him might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you. And I know what your great Christian response will be. So this is, this is a question I really want you to think about. Was the blood of Jesus really enough? And if it was, why do we have more faith in our Adamic nature and falling back into sin than we do in us being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? If the blood was enough. Now remember, we're not over there yet. We're on a journey. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure we're in the building yet. But we're going to get there. When I understand that the work on the cross was enough and it was an initiation point 
for me living a complete new life. I could repeat a prayer and still believe that Adam is still alive in me. Listen, guys, I can repeat a prayer and really, really believe it in my heart and confess it with my mouth that Jesus was raised on the third day. I can repeat that and never really go through a rebirth experience. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out why I, I have let the voice of condemnation, I've let the voice of religion, I've let the, the voice of you're never going to be good enough, you're not going to be saved enough, you're not going to pray enough, you're not going to have enough devotion, why I have let that voice be much louder than he that be in Christ is a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Why? Do we, as believers, have more faith in the nature of Adam than we do the triumph on the cross? Part of the reason is because there's been a weak, anemic, powerless church that did not teach you what real life in Christ looked like. Listen, guys, I hope you understand when I say stuff like that, my whole life has been in the church. My whole life. I'm not talking about something that I don't know about. I'm not talking about something that I probably didn't teach before. Seriously. Y'all know what preachers do, right? They, they, they keep their sermons. I can, I can show you the very first sermon that I preached when I was 18 years old. I Seriously, I can. I could take you to it. It's on the legal pad. At that time, I was doing outlines because that's what I saw my dad do. So I had Roman numerals and just stuff written out just like dad did. Boy, I don't even know how long it took me to write it, but it took me seven minutes to say it. That's all it took, my very first one. But I've got, I mean, I've got scads. Tell the truth, David, you know, you go right to your best sermons, can't you? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Chad, same thing. You know where they're at. And if they're really good, you even know what it was like when you preached it that moment. Seriously, am I telling the truth? How many journals you got that have sermons written down in them? I know all about it. This is what we do. And there's a thread of consistency from the very first time I preached until now, seriously. But there is so much junk in some of this. I, seriously, I have sermons that I have preached on justification. As a matter of fact, when I was studying this, I was like, oh, man, I've already got this. I've already, because I remember, I remember the sermon. I remember it. That whole little bit I said a while ago about my life being a crime scene, if I showed you the manuscript, dude, I mean, I had it written out. I'm talking about they were, they were looking for everything. They found it all. Seriously. But there's so much. I don't even know what I'm trying to say now. I'm totally off track, seriously. I got a bunch of sermons. If anybody wants to read them. Anyway, there's a thread of consistency. I think this is where I was going. There's a thread of consistency in the sermons, but there's so much junk and rhetoric that was in there 
because as a young man, I was looking for a father to tell me who I was. And there were days that I thought it was Bishop Jakes. And you can tell when I was going through those seasons, <laughs> when you read it. There were days that I thought it was somebody else. Rod Parsley. Oh, yeah, I, I got that too. One day, the long-legged Galilean will step that leg over that stallion steed and come riding in. No, I, I know how to do it. <laughs> Mephibosheth lived in the place of Lodabar. <laughs> yeah. There were these seasons because I was searching for stuff. And I read that mess yesterday, and I thought, I got mad at my own self. Seriously, I got mad at my own self. I was like, I can't use none of that now. I don't even know if I have to believe what I <laughs> preached, whatever that was. Seriously. Because I'm, 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 I'm learning some things. And, and, and here's, here's where I w I'm going to try to pull this in for a landing. Um, we... We miss the benefit of being reborn or we miss the importance of justification because the systems that we were in made all of the promises about being righteous about going to heaven. It really did. And because everything was about going to heaven, I spent my life in fear and condemnation wondering when Adam was going to show back up because I wasn't sure if he was dead enough. And I want to provoke us today to get into a place of relationship with Holy Spirit where he is conduit that is allowing Jesus to live his life through you so that you understand that the Adam nature is no longer even an option. Here's what you have to learn. The Holy Spirit, he's referenced as many things in the Bible. I love the way the Passion Translation, it calls him the encourager. It calls him the spirit of truth. And it calls him the spirit of holiness. Here is the idea of what true holiness is. It's that I am in a place of wholeness in relationship with Jesus. That every bit of that old man has been removed. That old woman has been removed. So that now I really can allow him to live his life through me. Here's where we missed it as a church as a whole. I'm not just talking about awakening, okay? You understand that? You understand that, that there are things. How many of you can look at the church at large and see some of what I'm talking about today, right? So, so, so this is what I'm talking about. Where we miss the boat is where we started having people repeat the prayer and say, you can add just a little bit of Jesus to what you're continuing to do. And we have missed the boat. And there are people who sit under the voice of preachers every week, sit under the voice of ministries every week, and they feel like they're doing a right thing by adding a little bit of Jesus to their continued life that is jacked up and messed up instead of saying, you know what, what if that man could die and I could really let the life of Christ begin to live through me? Well, Jesus was poor. and he, You made that up. Somebody who didn't really understand the Bible and didn't really understand prophecy lied to you and said that. Jesus was not poor. If he was poor, he wouldn't have had a treasurer that walked around with him all the time. And how can you be poor if you can tell somebody to go fishing and pull money out of a fish's mouth? 
The brother was not poor. Well, he didn't have a house to lay his head. No, 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 no. He stayed in some of the most prolific homes of the day. And he had a garment that did not even have a seam. It was custom made. But people have lied to us and they've said this. And so because we have these misrepresentations and these misconceptions of who Jesus is, well, he's, he's you know, he was, I can't do what he did because he was, he was half God. Listen, he was fully God and he was fully man. And every miracle that he did, he did as man, not as God. <clears throat> There's an invitation for us to live our life with him living his life manifest through us. Or we can continue the daily grind and let Adam still be the dominant voice. How's that working for us? Right? Or I can realize that the indwelling Holy Spirit creates a place where God the Father loves me so passionately and Jesus the Son loves me so passionately that they come and make their home on the inside of me and live their life through me. I don't want to pray for one more sick person with my Adam nature, but what if I could talk to that sickness with Jesus living completely on the inside of me? What if you could look at your relationships and say, I know I acted that way, and even though I felt like I had a right, there was still Adam that was living on the inside of me but what if you could say that guy is gone he's dead forever and I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and Jesus is living his life through me it would give you a new revelation of stop trying to build ministry and stop trying to build churches and actually expand the kingdom which is the dominion of the king that is supposed to be expanded by sons and daughters who are allowing him to live his life through us <sighs> You're going to be in this world, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Come on, man. What about this? Why, why do we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that he's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness? That's verse 3. Verse 4, so that we could become partakers of Adam's dead nature. Is that what it says? No. It says so that we could become partakers of the divine nature. Yeah. I, uh, that's it. I'm done. I can't, I can't go any further today. Go read Romans chapter 5. Read it in the Passion Translation. Read it in every translation you can find until you really believe that you have the ability to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus till you really believe that what he did when you said yes to a new birth experience was rip that old nature out of you. And the only way that it comes back is if you go back and resuscitate it. That's why I get so frustrated. People, they come to me, they're doing the same thing over and over again. Listen, you think I get frustrated to you? I'll see what I do to myself. When I catch that, I can't believe it. Why? Because you don't have to do it. I have to. I don't, I don't have any choice. It's got to hold on me. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar and Adam is dead. You can believe that if you want to or you can actually lean in to becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and realize you don't have to live like that any longer. You don't have to partner with sin. Whoever lied to you and told you that you're going to sin every day, again, the devil's a liar. 
It's because they had no real understanding and revelation of what it meant to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And they said, if I'm going to mess up, then the people that are out there are going to have to mess up too, so we'll just all do it together. And we spend so much of our life going back and bringing back to life that dead man. You want to really get freak nasty? Read Romans chapter 6 in the, in the Passion Translation and watch what it talks about what happens in baptism. That's why we don't do baptisms just every time something happens like that or somebody has just repeated a prayer. Because baptism means something. It is a spiritual experience. It's not just a declaration publicly of what your faith is. What it means when I go into that water, what was chasing me before is not chasing me any longer when I come out. The narrative of the children of Israel going through the Red Sea, they were being chased by Pharaoh. It's a narrative and it's a type and shadow of baptism that what was chasing them as they went into the water was no longer chasing them but was drowned when they came out to newness of life. I'm telling you, there's, we've got to begin to have more faith in the work of Jesus. Jesus, the completed work of Jesus that was an, initi an initiation for us, then we do the death of Adam. Yeah. <sighs> and so I'm going to ask that you give me grace. And I'll give you grace as we try to figure out what this looks like to be the righteousness of God. You know why I read it in the New King James Version and not the Passion Translation? Y'all know I love the Passion Translation, but the reason I did it is because every time the word justification should be used, he says perfect in righteousness. We've been made perfect in righteousness by the blood of Jesus. We've been made perfect in righteousness through the imparting of the grace through faith. Seriously. And I read it and I was like, no, I have to figure out justification before I can ever try to get around what perfect in righteousness means because I've still got some parts of Adam that have to die. But I'm telling you, I am killing that joker. And watch this, some of those parts, and, and I said I was done, didn't I? Some of those parts still look like an old wineskin. Some of those parts look like I've came, I, I, I came to a specific place in Christ and I've stopped. That's why you don't get excited when worship happens. Because Adam's still living in you. That's why you can come into services with the Holy Spirit's moving and look like there's nothing going on. It's because Adam's still alive in you. I've done it too. I've done it too. As a matter of fact, I, I, you, you know Paul said I speak in tongues more than you all. I feel like I need to say I sin more than you all because I've done it in the name of discernment. I've gone into services where there was an opportunity to rejoice and lift up the name of Jesus. And in the name of discernment, which was of crock, I would stand there with a critical eye wondering why they didn't do it this way and why they didn't do it that way. Do you know why? Because there's part of that old wineskin that's still there. I'll teach you next week. I've taught some of you this before, but you know what the, 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 the wineskin is made out of, the new wineskin? Goat. Because there'll be a separation of sheep and goats. That's an indicator that if you're going to really hold the new wine, the goat nature has to die. Let's stand. So God, we ask you today that you would give us grace and strength 
to understand what it means to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God, I pray today that as we're on this journey that you would teach me what justification really means in my life. You would teach me the power of the cross in my life. God, I don't ever, ever want to lessen the effect of what you did on the cross. How dare I think that the nature of fallen man could be greater than what you paid for on the cross. So God, today I'm asking you that in Ryan Bain's life that you would come get the reward of your suffering. That you would come get the reward of your suffering, God. And I pray that if there are those here who are still in the place of just trying to figure out who they are in you, I'm asking that you would give them revelation of what you did when you justified them. That you saw the charges, you saw the junk, and you acquitted them through the blood of Jesus. And they, he no longer looks at you through your sin. He only looks at you through the blood of Jesus. God, give us a revelation of that. Give us a revelation of the perspective that you have, that you see me through the blood of of Jesus and that that love relationship causes me to go deeper into the identity of who you are in me I'm asking God for grace through faith to live my life as though I was justified that you would continue to teach me you would continue to teach me that the only way Adam lives is if I go back and resurrect him. If I go back and resurrect that depravity. If I go back and resurrect the sin that you paid a high price for. God, I'm asking that, that it would become such a thought in our minds that we would not even be able to contain ourselves for joy that we have been set free. Not just that we're not on our way to hell anymore, and that's a big deal, and I'm grateful, but that I now have access to come to you face to face, to sit at your feet, and to look at you eye to eye and say, you are my God, and I am your son. I break every remnant of the orphan spirit. In Jesus' name, I bind the lies of rejection. I, I, I break every resistance to family. That you're trying to teach us about in Jesus' name. Let the power of the Holy Spirit begin to reign in our lives. Let the power of the Holy Spirit begin to move May we be passionate about who you are, not just what you can do for us. And God, please, please give me revelation of Jesus living his life through me. Tomorrow, as we go about our day, let me be aware that the son of the living God is living his life through me that the Holy Spirit is conduit. God, I pray for a release of power in the Holy Spirit into the people that are under the sound of my voice right now, that they would begin to prioritize time with Holy Spirit that testifies of who you are. God, let us break ties with things that testify of the Adam nature, whatever that may be. If it's putting our phone down, if it's turning the TV off, whatever it is, if it's putting books down, if it's whatever it is that would continue to have us elevate the Adam nature, I ask that you would remove it, God, and that you would give us a grace and a strength.
Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.